Summit Botany. And good morning, Summit Hastings, if you get to watch this. Good morning. I'm just going to grab a little table. Excuse me. We're back. So you see a whiteboard here this morning, because today we're going back to school. We're going we're gonna to do a little bit of geography, quite a bit of maths, a bit of English, a bit of language, but most of all, we're going to church. We're going to open the gospel and look at your word, because today, we're, as you know, we're concluding the, season, the transform next week, but today is the penultimate, the second to last, the, the one that comes before the end. So it's, today is transformed by grace. It's part of our DNA. You know, we have our summit DNA. We're looking at two particular elements of our DNA today. We're looking about grace. And that makes sense because it's all about grace. But we're actually also going to look, and I hope I don't steal too much of what Steve's talking about next week, about what we do with that, how we share what we have with the world. Can we just quickly pray? Father God, we just pray as we open your word today that you would speak to each of us. You would speak to us in the way you would speak to each of us individually. You may have something that is different for every one of us. We pray that your words would be the words that we want to have shared today. Father God, as we open your word, may it just come alive, this particular chapter that we're about to look at. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Be with us now, we pray. Amen. I need... Four volunteers. Can I have four volunteers? So just, you're not going to come up on stage, you're not going to act, but I do need four helpers if possible. Can I have maybe four people, let's say, maybe there's four people who haven't had breakfast this morning. Anybody who fits that bill? Everybody at Summit eats breakfast. That's really good. Okay. Um, waiters, would you mind grabbing, thank you, Harrison, maybe grab a few of those lovely looking people up on the bleachers because they look the least comfortable in the church today. <laughs> so we've got three waiters, and just ignore a little bit about what they're going to do. They're going to bring a few people forward, because you may notice we have a small table at the front. Grace. What is grace? Unmerited favour. Favour that we don't deserve. We, th when we get things we don't deserve. So we're going to come back to that. I love going to the movies. You may recognise some of these characters. I love true stories the most, but if they're not true stories, I quite like these superhero stories. I, I was a late comer to the Marvel movies, I must say. Simon shared a couple of weeks ago that he particularly liked a lot, you know, um, a few good men. It starred Tom Cruise as a lawyer, he mentioned. If I extrapolated that, I should like medical movies, but not so. I'd rather have this sort of thing. And the re oh, thank you. Thank you. They're just um, receiving a little bit of help down here. One, there's two reasons I particularly like these Marvel movies. They're, all the characters are a little bit flawed. They're broken. They've got special powers, but they've also got flaws. In some ways, they're a little bit human. But what I particularly like is that in Marvel movies, those who go to them, you stay for the credits. You think that the movie's over. Most movies, you try and get up quickly, you go out, you think, oh, I can be first out, I get to my car, get home, get a cup of tea, get into bed. Some people are still at the cinema. No. <laughs> With Marvel movies, you stay for the credits. And why is that, those of you who know, because there's always a little bit more. 
There's always a little teaser, a little bit more. It's going to excite you and look forward to the next. And so it is with John. You see, <laughs> because in chapter 20, and again, Steve's going to pop back to this next week, it feels like it concludes. The end of John chapter 20 has these two verses, and unlike last time where I tried to read the back wall, we'll try not to do that this time. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which were not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Doesn't that sound like, amen, that end, end of book, finished? Yes. But no, along comes John chapter 21, which is what we're going to look at today. So many people say, well, hang on, is that written by John? Why is this an addendum? And as they look, it mentions John, the... the, um, And so, but as they look at it, yes, most scholars believe that it was in fact John, although it's a bit like a Marvel movie, it's about what is to come. What we're going to do is go through this chapter little by little, and if we find a little bit that's kind of interesting, we'll stop and and break it down. You guys doing all right down here? Great, good, thank you. Okay, let's begin. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. Okay, already. How amazing is that? Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen again. They've already seen him. But again, Jesus is alive and with them. How amazing must that have been? Yeah? Carry on. By the Sea of Galilee. Again, where were they when we last saw them in the story? Jerusalem. So suddenly they're in the sea, by the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, a lake. In fact, the deeper, the, sorry, the lowest lying freshwater lake, here comes the geography, in the world, the second lowest lying body of water in the world. So where is it? Well, it's quite a long way from Jerusalem, about 123 kilometres as the crow flies. No cars, no trains, no Ubers, 123 kilometres. So they had to get there by Shank's pony. It's a long way to go. Why did they go to the Sea of Galilee? Why did they meet up there? There's lots of theories and probably a lot of truth. It was where they came from. This is where, of course, Jesus called the disciples. This is where they were fishing when Jesus called them. But they had to get there. Now, some of you think, oh, 123 kilometres, how far is that? It's about the distance from Manukau to Hamilton Lake. Now, that's a funny mark, but I was trying to find a lake. Now, Hamilton Lake's a lot smaller than the Sea of Galilee. But it doesn't sound like a journey you'd really want to make by foot, does it? So that gives us a little bit of perspective. How big is it? It's about a quarter the size of um, Lake Taupo. We don't have a lake quite the same size, but in New Zealand it's, it's bigger than Manapuri. But it's a lovely lake. Have you, who's been to the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias? Have you been there? It's quite an astonishing place by the looks of it. You've still got this sort of sandy areas around it and this astonishing body of fresh water. We know that actually Jesus promised to meet up with the disciples here. He said it in Matthew, although it's not recorded in John. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. The disciples were expecting this. They were expecting to meet up with Jesus. So that's why we presume they made the journey back home. That's where they expected to see Jesus. 
let's carry on. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also called Didymus, which means twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, James and John, and two other disciples were together. It's kind of odd that, isn't it? You think, why do they say specifically who five of them are and two of them are, and two other disciples? You see, the Bible doesn't do things without a reason, does it? So maybe it's, there must be a reason. Some say it's so that we can find ourselves in the story. Some say it's because it just sort of says it could be any of them who were there. It's kind of odd, because if John's writing it, he was there, and so you think he knew exactly who was there. So there is a reason. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, this is the rest of the disciples, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. How do you think Peter said that? Probably he said, I'm going fishing. You see, he was waiting for Jesus. We know from impetuous, impulsive Peter, he was probably getting frustrated. Some scholars who sort of think, well, maybe he'd lost his way. He'd, he'd obviously denied Christ three times, although he'd seen him again. But perhaps he was just getting frustrated. He said, oh, I'm over this. I'm going fishing. Did we ever do that ourselves when we get a bit frustrated or, or lost in our way? We would decide, ah, I'm going fishing. Now, I'm never going to say I'm going fishing. <laughs> Brad is probably never going to say, I'm going fishing. A few of our elders would probably say, I love fishings, but that's all right. Why were they fishing? Maybe they were hungry. That's a good reason. Maybe it's because they love fishing. But what do we hear? They were going out fishing at night. To carry on. The other disciples, of course, said, well, we'll go with you. So they all got in the boat and decided to spend the night fishing. But as it says, they caught nothing, nada. Have you ever done that? Now, again, not being a recreational fisher, the idea of spending all night in a boat catching fish is a nightmare rather than a pleasure. <laughs> if you go fishing, maybe for an hour or so or five minutes, and that would be enough. <laughs> but to spend all night catching nothing does not sound very enjoyable. So chances are, not only with a good fishermen, this was their career, they're out fishing, catching nothing. These chaps are probably extremely frustrated. Oh, actually, yeah, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise it was Jesus. Why not? Some think that, well, perhaps his body was different. They're offshore, they're probably about 100 yards offshore, 100-ish metres, we're told. Some say it's because as they're coming into shore, the sun was in their eyes. It's a possibility. Most believe that there was just something different about Jesus that made them go, hmm, they didn't recognise him. Jesus called out to them. Friends, haven't you any fish? No, no, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net because of the large number of fish. They had caught nothing. 
Jesus says, cast your nets out again, and in came the nets, completely loaded with fish. They were fishing without Jesus, nothing. With Jesus on their side, they brought in lots of fish. Let's remember that um, analogy, that metaphor for fishing. Now, as we talk about fish, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and we presume this is John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Suddenly, he, oh, oh, it's Jesus, yes. Suddenly they recognise him. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. This is, again, excitable, enthusiastic Peter. This isn't, oh, I'm going fishing, Peter. This is, it's Jesus, Peter. He is probably just sitting in his, they probably went fishing in a loincloth or very little else. He craps his outer garment around himself, wades through the water to Christ on the shore. Peter is so excited. Jesus actually came. Now, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the full net of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. There were fish on it and some bread. So there, Pete, one, one row or less, coming onto shore. Peter's wading through the water. And this is a, model, this is a boat that's actually been pulled out of the waters from the Sea of Galilee. So actually, it must be stored in a museum somewhere. This real boat, which may be similar to what the disciples were using. Now, at this point, most of us are thinking, what happens next? But the fisher people are saying, well, what sort of fish? You see, these are freshwater fish. They're not trout. But in fact, probably what they are, and they don't know this for certain, because there are a number of types of fish unique to the Sea of Galilee. But most people think it's probably this sort of fish, a, a tilapia, I think it's said. If you go to a restaurant nearby and those who may have been, supposedly they serve this up at the local restaurants. This is a really popular meal. It's probably the most popular meal. It's called St. Peter's Fish. So the pilgrims who go there to um, the Christians who visit Israel in their droves actually often go there to dine on St. Peter's Fish. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. So he's on the shore, he's still excited. Oh, I'll get the fish, says Peter. We can just get a model of Peter, this enthusiastic, really keen go-getter. It was full of large fish, 153, but even so with the nets, not they were not torn. Did you catch something odd there? 153. Two other disciples... 153 fish. <laughs> now, we could stop and pause here a moment because I was astonished as I read around this and we might need our, our helpers for the 153 fish. We, I wanted to try and visualise 153 fish. But as I said, I, I'm not a fisher person so I couldn't go and catch 153 fish. But almost books have been written about the 153. Excuse us a moment as we take you to maths class. So, some of the theories go, and don't laugh too much because it is a little bit... Of, now, actually, 153 of you are about to receive a fish. So, if you feel free to open it, consume it, 
You don't have to cook it. It should be safe. It's gluten-free fish. Um, <laughs> and some of you may miss out. But that's okay, because that's also part of our story. 100, are you guys okay down here? Yeah, you have a, have a fish while you're waiting. That's fine. Okay, 153. One theory is that there were, again, 10 commandments, seven gifts of the Spirit equals 17, one plus two plus three plus four onwards to 17 equals 153. Okay, so you don't buy that one. Okay. Okay, how about this? Okay. Okay, now, in the Gospels, Mark talks about three occasions where people were blessed, not many. Matthew, there's talks of 23 occasions with 47 people being blessed. Luke, far more, 94, 14 occasions, 94 people are blessed. And John, eight incidents, a total of nine. What do we get? 153. So, 153 people. Now, that seems a little bit odd. Try this. Who said of pure maths? Now, some people argue that most numbers lead to 153. So, if we take three and cube it, you get 27. Now, take that, 2 cubed plus 7 cubed equals 8 plus, let's quickly do it, oh, 343 equals 351. Now, we take each of those digits and cube those. So again, we're 27 plus 125 plus 1 equals, hello, 153. <laughs> People have spent a lot of time trying to work this out. Is that relevant to our story? Maybe not. But then all scripture has a purpose and is there for a reason. And I just find it fascinating. As much as anything, it's one of those things you sort of smile about and think, wow, there were 153 fish. That's kind of staggering. This um, mathematician, Sir James Jean, said this. From the intrinsic evidence of his creation, the great architect of the universe begins to appear as a pure mathematician. Do that, do, take that as you like, but it's kind of interesting. Okay. This is the bit I like. It's all good, but Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? So we've already got the sense that still people are a little bit about, a little bit uncertain. Some of these disciples are still, they're on the shore now. They're not 100 metres away. They're still saying, is this Jesus? Peter obviously thinks. So John obviously thinks. So some of them, maybe Thomas was actually still wondering. But then it says they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This is the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So here they are on the sea, on the shores of Lake Galilee, uh, sea, of, sea of Galilee. What, they're both, it's a lake, it's a sea. Um, 
being fed breakfast by Jesus. Now, about this time, this table is meant to be receiving breakfast, but it's coming. They've put their order in for breakfast. You see, it's really just, we're going to come back to why they're having breakfast. Rick Warren says things so succinctly, so cleverly. Jesus specialised in menial tasks that everyone else tried to avoid. Washing feet, helping children, fixing breakfast, serving lepers. Nothing was beneath him. Jesus came to serve. Are we sometimes not like that? Are some things beneath us? Cleaning a toilet, doing a roster because we don't enjoy it. Sometimes Jesus did the simple tasks. How often are we prepared to go out to others and serve them food? Perhaps people we don't know so well. Verse 15 carries on. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So again, this is, this is Peter, Simon Peter. Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Only a short number of days before, Peter had denied Christ three times. Jesus, who had professed to follow and do everything for the rest of his days, and here he was, carrying this guilt, this remorse of what he had done on that day. And here is Jesus, his Lord and Saviour, here with him, alive in the flesh, serving him breakfast and checking, do you love me? And three times in ever-increasing fervour, we presume, Peter says, yes, Lord, I do. I love you. Feed my sheep, says Jesus. It's interesting the three ways in it. It's sort of each time just subtly different. And again, there's a lot being written about what each of them means. But really it means go unto others and share about me. Love me unto others. Jesus carries on. <coughs> Excuse me. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourselves and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. As we, as we look about grace, we're particularly focusing, all the disciples there, but particularly focusing on Peter. Ambitious Peter, self-motivated Peter, impulsive Peter, inconsistent, he, the denying Peter, perhaps Peter who, I'm going fishing, was a bit selfish. But here we're confronted by Christ again in the living flesh. We see committed Peter, charismatic Peter, confident, convicted, and compassionate Peter. He was transformed by grace. Love, grace he didn't necessarily deserve, grace that came from Christ alone. <coughs> 
We can be a bit like that too, can't we? Ambitious, self-motivated, impulsive, inconsistent, basically being very human. But the only way to be a true follower is to acknowledge that we too can be transformed by grace. Romans um, puts it another way. All have fallen short, and all have sinned, sorry, and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Or in the Living Bible, we have all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious ideal. Yet now God declares us not guilty of offending him. If we trust in Jesus Christ, who in his kindness freely takes away our sins. Here we have these disciples in a boat on a lake far from Jerusalem, waiting for Jesus to come. Had he not come, would it have changed the outcome of history? Had what they'd seen and had the life lived, the three years they'd spent as his disciples following him, would that have all been for naught if they hadn't seen him again at the Sea of Galilee? You see, we know that these people were just so key, these disciples, the others too, but what happened? From that Sea of Galilee, we know that Peter became the first pope, if you like. He went to Rome. He was the founder, the rock of the Christian church. Thomas, Thomas went to India, to Kerala on the southwestern coast, and all the evidence stacks for it. I was fascinating. I was talking to one of the nurses I work with who's um, recently, uh, who I knew was a Christian, and we were chatting, and she said, you know, my family comes from the Christian line, and she's from that part of India, from Thomas. They still worship in the Catholic churches in that part of India, and they still date themselves back to when Thomas went there, oh, nearly 2,000 years ago. Amazing, eh? My, um, or Rebecca's great, great grandfather. I, I was just, I was going to include his story, but it's, it just didn't seem to fit today. But again, multi-generations of people in India who have been Christians in a country that isn't very Christian. Peter went there. We know that um, James was in the boat too. Now, Spain claims James as their own. They argue that James went to Spain and and there's, look, there's a lot of conflicting evidence. But irrespective, from this lake, forward onwards, these disciples went and spread the word. Here, actually, here we are in, um, in, you know, where this is. In fact, the Pope was in residence that day that we were there. Uh, this was the previous Pope. And there was St. Peter um, looking down. So just quite amazing if you do get a chance to visit the Vatican to, to go into St. Peter's. We're called, all of us are called, to go and make disciples of all nations. But do we believe it? Do we believe that we're truly transformed by grace? Do we go into our neighbourhoods sharing his word? Do we show hospitality? Do we just make them breakfast, share a meal, do something simple for our neighbours? When a new neighbour moves in, bake them some scones or just do something to show that they're different? I had a flatmate years ago. It was quiet. It was cool. Um, and, and people said, are you flatting with him? And I said, yeah, it's great flat. You see, this particular friend had been very much against the Christian group at university. 
If we said there was a notice meeting at one o'clock in a certain room, he would be the one who would deface it and put up little things and make fun of it. But I ended up flatting with him. And that was a pretty cool experience. He was a great flatmate. But a year or so later, he phoned me up after we were, and he said, Bryn, tell me about Jesus. Tell me about how I go to church. And I was stunned. I said, why? He said, because I'm surrounded by Christians who are kind and generous and love me wherever I go. It wasn't one person. It wasn't two. It wasn't three. But it was a whole bunch of people loving this guy differently. I felt you. I've lost touch. I don't know what's happened. But I was just so excited that day when he phoned. We had to do it with our friends, our families, to show the grace that we indeed have been given. But the story, we think about this so often, go and make disciples. We think of those disciples who went to India, to Italy, to Europe, to Turkey, to Spain. But you know, we can stay home. This is from the Joshua Project. It's amazing. Look up their website if you don't know it, which sort of outlines what's happening with the church around the world. And this is a little breakdown, if you can read it, across New Zealand. The percentage listed as evangelical is about 18%, about over, just over 50% in the last sentence claimed to be a Christian adherent. They fear that may have gone under the 50% in the last sentence. But look at the rate, the growth of the church in New Zealand relative to the rest of the world. If we're 0.5%, that's less than population growth, compared to the global rate, which is still very, very small. New Zealand is becoming less and less Christian. So we think about the unreached people groups around the world, but hello, they're at home. There are so many groups of, Christian, of, of nations represented in our country who did, have never heard anything about the gospel. This is just a snapshot again from the Joshua Project. But let's look at a couple. Japanese people in New Zealand, there's actually quite a number. 0.5% evangelical, um, just over 1.5% one, one or thereabouts, with some sort of Christian adherence. These are seen as an unreached people in our own country. Indian people, particularly those from a Hindu background, over 100,000, well over the great majority in Auckland. You see that evangelical about 2%, some sort of Christian adherence, 4%. These are an unreached people group in our street, in our neighbourhood, in our workplace, in our school. And we haven't even said a thing. How many people go to church in New Zealand? Well, I'm surprised as, as high as this, 14% weekly are doing what we're doing right now, sitting in church. That's so much smaller. It's shrinking by the year, which is pretty sad. So I was doing some simple maths and thinking, well, you know how that growth, if you have one and you double it, and you double that and you double that, and in just a very short number, you've actually got billions? Well, maybe it's not far off there. <coughs> Excuse me. So if 18%, no, let's say only a few people do this, told 5%, say, told two people who went on and told two people. Imagine the growth of the church just by us doing it and others doing it and sharing what we know, the grace and love that comes from Christ alone. How do we do it? Well, we can do it like Jesus did. We can serve people breakfast. We can, as we said, give them some shopping things. When you're putting out the rubbish, you can say hi and strike up a conversation. You don't have to witness everything in one hit. I think we just try too hard, but we can love people and care for people and share their hurts and needs in a place where there's a lot of loneliness and a lot of people who aren't looking out for others.
You see, superheroes are, are kind of cool, aren't they? They've got superpowers and can do amazing things. But we can love our neighbours where we are. We, in fact, have superhuman powers too. You see, as we're about to sing in a minute or two, because we believe in the sun, we believe in the risen one, we can overcome. This life on earth is but fleeting, and yet we have this opportunity to do so much before an eternity. How much are we using those lives to the best, to what God wants us to do? When we, when we stand before him, will he be, will he be, will we have done what he had called us to do? Are we loving our neighbour? Are we truly transformed by grace? Are we going fishing for fish? Or are we fishing for souls? Are we reaching out just by love and sharing this amazing thing that we have been given that we should want to share abundantly with all others? Let's just pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you included John chapter 21 in, in the Bible. It didn't end there. You met your disciples on the, at the Sea of Galilee and their lives were transformed, transformed by grace. You met them again and they went into the world sharing your love. May we take something from that, Lord Jesus. May we be transformed by grace. And may, may we want to share that with our neighbour, with our friends, with the unreached peoples and our nation. Father God, thank you that you love us and we love you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.